This is a one and all media podcast. This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Genesis, Exodus, Ruth, Isaiah, Daniel, plus Luke and Matthew from the New Testament. These are just some of the passages that we've had a chance to look at in our series titled The Story as we've been capturing the big picture of the Bible, starting from Genesis and going through Revelation. If you want to catch up on any of these messages, just search for Today with Jeff Fines wherever you listen to podcasts. My name is Aaron, and welcome back to Today with Jeff Fines as we continue this episode we started last time looking at John chapter 11, which talks about the death of Lazarus. This is a passage that reveals more about the character of God and gives us a deeper understanding of the Holy Trinity. Here's Pastor Jeff with the remainder of this message. Now, the problem of evil and pain and suffering in your life can never be solved. It's too intricate. It's too complex. But you can resolve it. Martha says, Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. I know he'll raise up. And No, 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 no. Don't you get it? I am God. I am the king. I'm the Messiah. I hold the keys to life and death. If I want to bring him out right now, I can do it. But then he meets Mary. Mary says the same thing. But this time Jesus doesn't respond with propositional truth. On down in the scripture, when Mary reaches the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, guess what she's going to say? She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What is this, Pete and repeat? It's the same thing Martha said. Where were you? You were just over the horizon, 30 minutes away, by feet. Four kilometers. Where were you? Had you been here? My brother, your friend will not have died. This time, this time, Jesus gives no propositional truth. The Bible says when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come see, Lord. They replied. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. The Greek word is the word dakruo, which means to weep and wail and mourn. I lived in Africa for 10 years, folks. And when the Shona people of Zimbabwe lose a loved one, the weeping and the wailing and the mourning lasts for days and you can hear it for miles and miles. Jesus didn't move beside Mary and shed a little tear. Jesus moved beside Mary and he broke down in pain and he began to weep. And if God came to the earth in the form of man and Jesus is the second part of the Godhead. 
what Jesus is trying to show us is that the God who created all things is capable of crying for you. You say, well, I don't get that. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Stop your whining and moaning and come on. Bring him out of the grave and everything will be fine. But Jesus pauses, even though he knows what's about to happen. And it's a microcosm of your life and mine. Even though he knows how it's all going to work out in the end, he still comes and he weeps and he cries. Do you know in the Old Testament, there's something called sitting sevens. Sitting sevens. And it's any time you come up on somebody who is weeping and mourning over loss, you sit with them for seven days without saying a word. Do you know why I believe that is? So that you will not say something stupid. Because when people are in deep pain and suffering and mourning, we tend to say something that makes us feel better because their pain is inconvenienced us. Forget about them. I've done that. When my friend Chris Nave died, one of the starting five on my high school basketball team, had too much to drink a year after graduation and slammed his car on the side of a church building, died on impact. I went to the funeral. His sister was there. She was 10 years older. I saw her waiting on me to get into the front of the line. She wanted to talk to me because she had heard I'd made the decision to go into ministry. I'd had no training. I just made the decision. And it was the summer before I enrolled in a Bible college, seminary. When I got to the end of the line, and it was only her and I, she looked at me and she said, please, Jeff, help me. I had no idea what to say, so I just said what I had heard said a thousand times before. I put my hand on her shoulder and I said, it'll be all right. And she looked at me and said, it'll be all right? My brother's dead. He's not coming back. How can you tell me it'll be all right? Now, this was probably a little unfair to a young guy, but the reality is I did what any mature young preacher would do. I just ran. And there's not a day that has gone by that I have not regretted that. But I didn't know what to say. I've not been trained for stuff like that. What do you say? Sitting sevens. When Jesus comes into town, he meets Martha. And he knows that Martha is part of that 10%. We know that from other things we see about Martha's life in the New Testament. And he says, Martha... Wake up. You know who I am. There's hope. There's eternity. You know I'm going to restore all things. You know the power I have. And Martha, think now. Don't lose sight of the truth because you're having subjective feelings that, that are confusing. Do not lose sight of what is objectively true. I can raise him from the dead right now if I want. But then he meets Mary. He gives Mary no propositional truth. He doesn't talk about restoration, redemption, reconciliation. All he talks about is this. Sitting sevens. He doesn't try to get into her head like he did Martha and give her a propositional truth. He just stands alongside her and begins to cry and weep with her. This is the Savior that you need. This is what you're looking for. If somebody in the moment of suffering just gives you truth, it's offensive. But if somebody only gives you emotion and feeling, that's offensive too. You need both truth 
and tears. And that's the only way healing can come. And Jesus is the only one that can give you both because he's big enough to give you truth because he's of the God stuff. And he's small enough that he made himself nothing to come to planet earth so that he would experience the human experience, not so that he would know how we live, but so you would know that he knows how we live. And in Hebrews 2.17, it says, for this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Only Jesus can give you both truth and tears. And that's what you need for healing. When my mom died, this is the application we're moving into. I told you there's going to be a lot of pieces. We're going to put it together. When my mom died, I had some friends of mine that came and just said things like this to me. Why are you so sad, man? You know, your mom's in heaven. You know, she's going to be with God. Suck it up, man. Let's go. I wanted to kill them, but only after I had tortured them for days. And I had other friends that came up and put their arms around me and they gave me tears. Oh, I'm so sorry, Pastor Jeff, your mom passed away. I'm so sorry, but they gave me no propositional truth, nothing. They just made me feel sad for a while, but when they left, I had no joy. My friend Terry Barker, who was another player on my high school basketball team, when we played high school basketball together and my coach gave me a difficult assignment, like if I had to guard one-on-one an All-American or somebody, the other players just kind of left me alone, but Terry Barker would come just before the, the, the horn blew to start the game. He'd come over and he'd just pat me on the backside and he'd look me right in the eye and he'd say, biggin, that was short for big one. He'd say, biggin, I believe in you and I know you can do this. I had not seen him for 15 years. He still lived in my hometown. I was living in New Zealand when my mother died. I came back to go to the funeral. He was there. He waited till everybody passed through the welcoming line. And then he came up to me and he patted me on the backside. I'm 35 years old at the time. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, Biggin, you can do this. I'll be here for you. And God will give you the strength. And I want to tell you what he said and did in that moment was more powerful than anything any pastor said to me. Truth and tears. And it's what we're all looking for. Now, some of you in the room are fixers. You, you're just very good at spouting off Bible verses to people who are in pain. You've memorized every platitude in the book. You'll say something like, God works everything together for those who love him, called according to his purpose. And what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I want to tell you that people want to kill you. <laughs> you just want to fix everything right now and spout off some Bible verse and you think everything's going to be fine. But some others of you are just feelers. You're the kind of people that you just come beside people and say, oh, I'm so sorry, and you weep, but you give them no truth. You would never do what a fixer would do. At least a fixer would say, dude, don't make these decisions. If you do that, it's going to be bad for you. You would never do that as a filler because you don't want to offend anybody. You just want to cry with everybody. If John 11 is about God revealing to us what he's like, the message through the narrative is that God is a fixer and a filler. He gives you both truth and tears. Not only that, but he knows what to give to what person and when. Because some people need truth first before they have the crying, but other people need the crying first before they hear the truth. And Jesus knows exactly which one comes first into what person's life. And as you and I are being conformed to the image of his son, we're supposed to gain discernment and able to do that as well. You say, Pastor Jeff, why are you hammering this? I'm almost done. Because of CCV's vision. Because of our vision. A fully devoted follower that people far from God come near. Do you understand that our biggest impact is not going to be in standing on a corner and shouting things at people? 
Your biggest impact is going to be showing people compassion to the point that they trust you so they will ask you about the hope that resides in you. Let me tell you something. I have never won anybody to Christ through apologetics. Never. I've broken down some barriers, but ultimately it's about relationship and compassion. And when you show people that you love them, man, they're open to what you have to say propositionally. Jesus shows that time and time and time again. Do you get that? You need truth and tears. And one of the reasons, one of the main avenues through which God ministers to us during our time of difficulty is to send us to help each other, to remind people of truth and tears. But if somebody gives you truth and they don't weep with you, you don't want to hear it. And if somebody weeps with you without giving you truth, you feel no better when they leave. You need both. And only Jesus gives that. Now, if that was the end of the sermon, it'd kind of be anticlimactic, but it's not. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. I love this word deeply moved because theologians are in a quandary. It's only used of animals, except here. It means to snort and to bellow with anger. Imagine a bull. Jesus is angry. When he wept, he was sad. Now he's mad. Remember, it's not a sin to be angry. The sin comes in how you deal with your anger. Anger is a true emotion. It's how you respond when the anger comes. In reality, some of you are not angry about something that you should be angry about. Jesus is angry. Why? Maybe at the damage sin has caused. Maybe he's thinking about the thousands of funerals that he will not interrupt. But verse 38 says he's deeply moved. He comes to the tomb. It was a cave with the stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. Now, you have to wonder if the writer did not record everything. Now, the Bible is the infallible word of God, but it doesn't mean everything's included. Because you wonder if Jesus looked at Martha. Look, I'm God. I can do anything. It doesn't matter how long he's been in the tomb. I can have a resurrection without the stench. Don't worry about the body stinketh, as the King James Version says. I can resurrect him. Back in verse 40, Jesus said, did I not tell you, Martha, if you believe you'll see the glory of God. And then Jesus tells him to remove the stone. Jesus prays to the father. And then he calls out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. Some theologians said that had Jesus not mentioned Lazarus by name, everyone would have come out. <laughs> so he had to say, oh, you, you stay, everybody stay. Lazarus, you come out. And then Jesus said, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Now, you may not have noticed it during the course of the narrative, but for those of you who are asking the question, if the kingdom of God is real and the ideal has come into the real world and the kingdom of God has changed me from the inside out, can you please explain to me, Jeff, why the kingdoms of the world are trying to smash me and God's just over there, but he doesn't seem to want to show up? Why? Okay. The answer is found in three verses. And they're intertwined within this narrative. The first time it was in verse four. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that God's son may be glorified through it. Then you find it again in verse 40 at the summation passage. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? And then verse 45, therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. I've got some news for you. Jesus' priority for your life is not convenience. If you're looking for health, wealth, and prosperity, you can go five miles in any direction and find one of those churches, but you're not at one here. 
If Jesus' priority for his own son was not convenience, what makes us think that his priority for us would be that? His priority for Jesus, his own son, was that he would die to glorify God and to bring those who were far near. If that's true of his own son, I'm saying that according to the Bible, you and I have been bought with a price and we are God's to do with as he chooses to bring glory to himself. You want to know what God is like? He wants to use your life to glorify his name. And in those seasons of your life when he requires something difficult, he's going to weep with you. And he's going to stand right beside you. But he has the infinite knowledge and wisdom to know this is the best way, even if you don't. The times in my life when I've gotten to know Christ and the intimacy with him has grown and developed have been times of difficulty. You get to know God more deeply in pain than you ever will pleasure. Because in pleasure, you tend to forget him because you think you don't need him. But when you're in pain, man, you drop to your knees and you go to the God who will weep with you, who will not only give you truth, but will give you tears. And there is no other God who will do that for you. Because when you're in difficulty, your response to your suffering will be directly related to the reason for your life and living. And John 11 reminds you that God will not leave you orphan. He will not abandon you. He will be with you. He will weep with you. But your life is for the purpose of glorifying God. And the reality is when you suffer and you respond well, you are a walking, living, breathing testimony to the glory and power of God. Folks, you know, by nature, I'm skeptical. That's just me. That's who I am. And I've learned as I grow older to have a little bit more faith. You know that I would not tell you a story unless I'd done a little research first. I believe 99% of the stories on the internet are not true. So I'm a skeptic. When I read something, I automatically assume, who made this up? And if it makes you cry, it's really not true. (laughs) I believe the story. And it's about a little boy in Naples, Florida, who took his dog out for a walk. He goes out and he's with his dog and he's playing in the forest. And he came up on an Arizona diamondback that bit him right around the ankle. And the poison went in, bit him numerous times. He tried to stumble back home, but he fell on the road. Nobody knows how long for sure, because this story does end up being recorded. The father came into the kitchen to get a drink of water and he looked out the window and he saw his little boy lying on the road and he ran out. And as soon as he saw the bite, he knew exactly what had happened. And he picked up his little boy in his arms and he got in the car to make the 15 minute journey to the medical clinic to get help. Halfway there, his car breaks down. So he's standing out on the road, holding his little son in his arms. And a farmer comes by with a pickup truck and they all load in the pickup truck and they finally make the seven and a half more minute journey to the medical clinic. The doctor sees the little boy, sees the bite, does some investigation and comes out and says to the father, I'm sorry, it's been too long. There's too much poison and it's been too long and there's nothing I can do. There is another medical clinic up the road, another 20 minutes, but I, I'm telling you, I, 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 I'm a doctor for 25 years and I, your son's not going to make it. Make your peace with it. But the father was grasping at anything he could like a father would and he drove to the next hospital. The doctor investigated and told him the same thing. The boy's not going to make it. 
too much poison and too long. We're going to put them on some IV and try to revive. We're going to do what we can, but I'm just telling you, don't get your hopes up. I've never seen anybody in all my years of medical practice recover from something like this, especially a little boy. 48 hours later when the boy woke up, and I wanted to read this to you because I don't like, some quotes I just don't like to risk messing up, and I know some of you will do the research and you'll test me on this, so I want to get it right. You can read the story online. One of those finally that is true. It appeared in Reader's Digest, and not everything that appears in Reader's Digest is true too, I know. When the doctor saw the boy wake up and restored, he said, in all my years in medicine, I have never seen someone recover with so much poison in their system. This is indeed fascinating. The little boy heard the doctor say that to his parents. And here's his response, and I quote word for word. Doctor, I know how it happened when I was out in the woods and that snake made its way towards me and sank its fangs into my shoes. If it weren't for my dog, I would have been finished. My dog got the snake away from me. I began hobbling toward the house and I knew I was not going to make it. Then a figure in complete white there in the forest picked me up, held me tight and said, little boy, you're going to be sick, little boy, for some time, but do not worry. I'll be with you and you will be well again. Now this was 12 years ago. The doctor, when he heard it, was uncomfortable. And the parents were uncomfortable. And they said, hey, we're not churchgoers. This makes no sense to us. We weren't brought up this way. And for the last 12 years, they've tried to convince their now 20-some-year-old to be quiet. And I quote, the parents say, no matter how many times we've tried to convince our boy that he's mistaken and perhaps it was only a dream, he was having none of it. He said he will never deny the time he was carried in the arms of God. Am I going to tell you that in the midst of your pain and suffering, a man in white's going to show up and carry you? No, I have no idea. But I will tell you this. He will carry you. He is the God of truth and of tears. And at the point in your life when you think you can't handle it anymore is the time he will pick you up. All you need to do is ask him to show you a Jesus revelation. I cannot tell you that he's going to give you an exhaustive understanding of everything that's happening because your finite is infinite. And you may not understand it if he told you. But I will tell you what he has promised. That God has come down to reveal to you. That you will never go at it alone. And if you bend your knee in prayer and you ask God, God, show me something. Give me anything. Please, are you with me? I just need to know that you're with me. That there is a prayer that God always answers. I don't know how he will do it, and it's different in every life. But if that's where you are, people who have suffered the most have the incredible revelations of Jesus as he comes to them in their time of need. And I've told you, I've seen this as I've sat by hospital beds of people who are dying. I've seen it time and time again. There's frustration, there's frustration, and right near the end, there's a smile. It's like Jesus shows up and says, hey... I'm here, man. I'm here and I'm weeping with you. Father, I pray. You saw the faces in the hands of the courageous. They're asking for a Jesus revelation. They're asking God somehow, not for an exhaustive understanding of what they're going through. They know you're infinite. We know that we're finite. But you've told us that you weep with us. 
Would you send a reminder to every life who raised their hands? Would you send a reminder that you are with them? Your power is upon them. In whatever avenue you want to do it, I pray that in the coming days, something will happen, a song, a friend, and the spirit inside them that translates our groans and moans into words to God the Father, that God the Son would give us a Jesus revelation that he is there, he is near, and that he loves us. I pray that as a pastor, you've entrusted me with a flock that ultimately belongs to you. And as the shepherd, I pray this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.